0: Hey, Harvest, how are you doing? Uh, Do me a favor, if you have your Bibles, open them up to John 14. Uh, Again, I hope you're doing well. And um, as you're turning to John 14, which we're gonna be in for a little bit, and then um, we're gonna jump to 1 Kings 19. So you may wanna get a bookmark and put that in 1 Kings 19. But as you're turning to John 14, Um, Even though I can't see you and you're not here, I I need you to be honest, and what I want you to do is I want you to raise your hand, even in your home, if you are watching this sermon in your PJs right now. Okay, can you raise them up? I know that's probably many of you, and listen, it's okay, I'm not judging you. We are in unprecedented times, and some of us choose to to take on these unprecedented times in our PJs, right, To, to each his own. And um, what, a, what a crazy time we're in, what a unique season. And so what we're doing is we're working through a series that's called How to Thrive When Life is Scary. And we're going to take a passage uh, this today and over the next few weeks where Jesus is going to be teaching his disciples this exact thing. Jesus is going to be talking to his disciples in a moment when they're very, very scared, And Jesus is going to say, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to live. This is how you need to respond when your heart is troubled and when life is scary. So let me just take two minutes and give the backdrop to John 14 when Jesus is talking with his disciples. Um, This is literally the night that Jesus would be betrayed and arrested. This is the last moments that Jesus would have with his disciples all together. Judas has already left to go betray Jesus. Think about if you're the disciples, Jesus has been teaching for some time, I'm coming to Jerusalem and when I get to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. And he was their leader, he was their father figure. They had kind of dedicated their whole lives to Jesus and now he's talking about dying. He's saying one of their own is going to betray them and Judas all of a sudden leaves and then Jesus just gets done telling Peter, even you are gonna fall away and you are going to betray me. And Jesus can sense in his disciples' faces, they're really, really afraid. And Jesus is, he picks up on this, he sees this, and he's like, All right, I need to speak to their hearts right now because I'm about to leave and life is about to get very, very scary. Look at John 14, 1. Here's what he says. And today we're just going to focus on the first six words. He says, This, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Wow. if there is ever a word for us right now in this moment from God's word, isn't it that? Let not your hearts be troubled. And uh, if you're taking notes with us on the app, here's the big idea this morning. It's this: It's that faith in Jesus does not remove the reality of fear from our lives, but it eliminates fear's power to dominate us. Let me say that again. Faith in Jesus doesn't remove the reality of fear from our lives, but it eliminates fear's power to dominate us. And what Jesus was facing, and what the disciples were facing, listen, it was really, really scary, right? In just a few hours, Jesus would be on his knees in the garden of Gethsemane, um, sweating drops of blood, pleading with God, if there's another way that this can be accomplished, God, let it be so. Jesus was afraid. The disciples had very real reasons to be scared. Life was going to look completely different for them starting tonight. It was scary. And listen, life can be scary, right? People in our church right now are facing very, very serious cancer diagnosis. That's scary, Um, I think about just the time we're living in and the coronavirus. There's fear all over this thing. Like I think about people in my life who I love, who are higher risk, who are older, that if they were to get this virus, um, they would be in very, very real danger. Um, I, I just even think about the fact that we as a nation and as a world are locked down because there's a virus that's spreading that we can't control and we don't have an antidote for. There's very real fears involved in that. There's people that I know who have gone through the testing process for this virus. That's a scary process to go through. I think about the economic realities and uncertainties that that this lockdown has brought on our country and our world, right? It's scary. There are people in our church who are being laid off. People are losing their jobs. The uncertainty of what's happening in the market or what does the bounce back look like and how long is it gonna take for us to recover? Right, Those are fears. Um, I know for me personally, even in having to make decisions uh, of how to lead the church best and how do we move to all online and how do I make sure that our pastors are doing ministry in a way that's helpful and effective and not overloading all of you, but being present. Like, There's just been a ton of decisions um, that there can be fear involved in. And then I think one of the biggest sources of fear in all of this, if we're honest, is just the uncertainty. Like, when is this going to end? I was just talking with our production guys right before I got up here to preach, and the question was, hey, how long do you think this is going to go on for? And it's like, I have no idea. Like, I hope we're over this in a couple months, but it could be into the summer. Like, we just don't know. All of this is objectively scary. And listen, um, we as Christians, we don't need to pretend like we're not afraid of anything. Like to pretend that life isn't scary at times and pretend that we don't struggle with fear comes across really disingenuous and disconnected from reality. Jesus isn't telling his disciples, listen, you shouldn't be afraid. What he's saying is he's saying, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't allow fear and anxiety to dominate your hearts right now. And see, the thing with fear is fear has this tendency to want to sit in the driver's seat of our lives and make decisions for us. And when we're overcome with fear or overcome with panic, we can yield to that fear and make very, very quick decisions that aren't well thought through and don't end up being healthy or helpful. You know, if I would be honest, I would say one of the biggest challenge in the past few weeks is to not make reactionary decisions. The president will say something or the governor will say something or we'll get a new piece of information. It's like, all right, what do we need to do? What do we need to change? And you have this temptation to react very, very quickly. But wisdom would always say, no, no, slow down, take a breath, let's see where things settle, think through this and let's make the best decision. And what Jesus is offering the disciples is he's offering them and he's offering us a better way than to have our hearts be dominated by fear a way that looks at the scary things in our lives, not through the lens of panic or anxiety, but through the lens of faith and trust in him. All right, so if you have your Bibles, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn over to 1 Kings 19. And what we're going to do today is we're going to meet a man who is overcome with fear and anxiety, and we're going to see how God met with him and helped him in the midst of his fear and um, just a little bit of backdrop to First Kings 19 as you're turning there, we're gonna meet the prophet Elijah. And, and Elijah, he is seen as like the top prophet in the history of the nation of Israel. Um, pro- he was a godly man. He feared God. He loved God. He had a great ministry. In fact, he uh, followed God so closely and, and God loved him so much that Elijah is one of the few men in all of the Bible to have never have tasted death. He, he was actually taken up into heaven, we're told, by a chariot. He, he didn't die. This is how special he was to God. Like, like if there's an A-team in all of the Bible, Elijah is on the A-team. This was a godly man who is having a really, really difficult time when we meet him. And here's why. What had just happened? If you were to go back to First Kings 18, Elijah has just kind of had his biggest moment in ministry. He challenged the prophets of Baal, who were these pagan um, prophets that worship pagan gods, that that were um, kind of collecting the Israelites to worship their gods with them. That this was the kind of big attack to worshiping God was worshiping these idols of Baal. So so, Elijah's like, I've had enough, and enough. enough is enough. I'm gonna challenge the prophets of Baal. I want to show everyone that this is a false god. So what he did was he set up this challenge where um, it, the, the challenge was which god would send fire down from heaven. And, and they both set up altars and he let the prophets of Baal go first and they spent all day dancing and singing and worshiping and cutting themselves and trying to, to get their god to send down fire from heaven and nothing happened. And then Elijah took his uh, altar and he dumped water all over it, he just doused the thing, making it soaking wet and all he had to do was pray a simple prayer and the whole thing was engulfed in flames. And the people were amazed and and Elijah had those false prophets put to death, right? This is a mountaintop experience of Elijah's ministry but after that, things would quickly change. Look at 1 Kings 19 verse one, here's what it says. It says, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And then he was afraid and he rose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die saying, is it enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my father's. Okay, so here's what's going on is that Ahab and Jezebel were the king and queen of Israel. They were the most powerful people in Israel and Jezebel was a Baal worshiper. So she hears what happens and she is furious and she sends a messenger to Elijah that says, hey, listen, just like you killed those prophets of Baal, you're going to be dead by this time tomorrow. I am dedicating my life to finding you and to killing you. And so Elijah has to run. He literally runs for his life. He goes to this kind of far off village and leaves his servant there, then even goes just into the desert, into the wilderness by himself, a whole day's journey. And it says he sits down under a tree and he's like, I've had enough. I'm terrified. I'm exhausted. And he literally asks God to kill him. like, this is the biblical equivalent of a panic attack right now. He's overwhelmed, he's overcome with emotion, he's terrified, and he's not handling it well. He's saying, I just wish I was dead. Can you just take my life? And what we're going to do is we're going to see how God meets Elijah in his fear. And what we're going to do is we're gonna see five steps that you and I can take when our hearts are troubled to move from a troubled heart full of fear to a heart full of faith. So look at verse five says this, it says, and he lay down and slept under a broom tree and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a head at his head, um, a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in, and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Okay, so here's the first step to do when our hearts are overcome with fear. It's this. Um, we need to take care of ourselves physically. Take care of yourself physically. I find it fascinating that Elijah calls out to God and he's like, listen, I just wanna die. All of this is pointless. I'm no better off than my father's. And before God even engages with Elijah, what does God do? He has Elijah fall into a deep sleep. And then he sends an angel down to make him food and to give him water and to wake him up. And he eats and drinks and then he sleeps again. And then an angel comes on and wakes him again to to feed him and to nourish him. Before God even engages with Elijah's heart, He takes care of him physically. And here's the thing: when we are exhausted or when we're hungry, we don't have the ability to process emotions like fear or worry in a healthy way. Um, you've heard of that term, hangry, right? Well, it's a real thing. When you're hungry and when you're tired, you kind of fly off the handle and you say things that you regret and you don't think clearly, this is what was going on with Elijah. Imagine how exhausted Elijah must've been. He's just gone from this mountaintop experience, calling down fire from heaven. Imagine the adrenaline in that. And then he puts to death prophets by the sword. Like that's a gruesome way to kill people. They're been bit full of adrenaline there. And then he gets this message that his life is in danger and he's fleeing and he's running for his life. By the time he got to the wilderness, he was on fumes, he had nothing left. So God's like, Elijah, we need to take care of you physically. You need to sleep and you need to rest and we need to get some food into you. Um, I remember last summer, um, I was just at a place where um had been working really hard, and, and church life was really, really busy, and, and I found myself uh, in a place of exha- exhaustion, and I'll explain to you how I got there. We had... Um, Um, just kind of finished the process of planting Harvest Fremont. So things at church were really, really busy. We were helping them up there. I was going up there to preach occasionally, um, helping Eric get that launched. We have had more staff transition in probably those last six months than we had in all of the years of our church combined. There'd been a lot of staff coming in and and staff leaving. So things were just busy here. And um, I'd been asked to speak at a youth camp in New Mexico. So I had my daughters come with me and Mary and we flew across the country um, to New Mexico and there was a bunch of churches gathered that we knew and I was kind of their camp speaker. So we spent uh, five days just, preaching uh, there and ministering to the high schoolers and junior high students and building up the leaders and had a really, really great time. Um, But if you've ever been involved in a church camp or camp in general, you know that it's exhausting. You're always dirty, you're outside all day, you're running around, you're up really late at night, like everything's dirty all the time, you're not in your own bed. It's an exhausting experience. So did this camp in New Mexico, we flew home um, the very next day. And I remember um, I was home for one day, we went to church and and then it was um, Sunday afternoon and I was actually just like getting ready to get in the shower and kind of be able to turn the off switch on for me for a couple of days and really looking forward to rest. And I got a call from um, our youth pastor, Taylor Bacon. And uh, I picked up the phone, I'm like, hey, what's up, Tay? And Tay is like, hey, Cal, we got a problem. And if you know Taylor, you know Taylor is like the king of cool. He's super organized. He's a hard worker. He always has everything thought of. So if Taylor's calling me and he's saying we have a problem, I know we have a problem because Taylor never cries wolf. He, he's very, very competent and can handle things on his own most of the time. So I'm like, Taylor, what's up? And he goes, Cal... Um, our uh, camp speaker for our youth camp, which starts tomorrow for our high schoolers, uh, three days ago he backed out because his wife is pregnant and there's been some complications and he can't make it. And so Taylor's like, so I got on the phone. I called another um, buddy of mine who's a youth pastor. He agreed to come up and teach camp for us, but he literally just called me and he just had a sudden death in his family and he can't teach either. And he goes, Cal, we're leaving for camp in like 18 hours and we don't have a speaker, I don't know what to do. And so immediately in that moment, I'm like, well, I know why the Lord had me go to New Mexico and teach a camp for a week because he knew that our students would need it. And I'm like, Taylor, I've got you know, four or five messages already prepared. I can tweak it a little bit to fit the series that you guys have put together. And um, I'll come and I'll do camp. This is what the best decision is. This makes the most sense. So then I spent another week at camp for our students and hanging out with the students, ministering to the students, building up the leaders, preaching, being up late at night. And camp was amazing. I loved doing it. God really showed up. It was a powerful week, um, but something really, really interesting happened to me. It was the last night of camp. I'd finished preaching and we're up in New Wago and I've got about an hour drive back to Spring Lake. And I was all by myself driving back in my car. And as I was driving, all of the sudden, um, I was really struggling to catch my breath. And it felt like there was like a pound of bricks or five pounds of bricks on my chest and I was kind of breathing in deep and couldn't catch my breath, um, almost to the point where I was getting lightheaded and beginning to feel like I might black out. Well, I'm going 70 on the highway, and this is a problem. So I remember I, I pulled the car over, and I call Mary, who's at home. She's getting ready to go to bed. It's about 1030 at night, and I'm like, hey, Mary, um, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if I'm having a panic attack. I don't know what's happening, but I'm really, really struggling to breathe right now. And so I just kind of sat by the side of the road in my car. And after a couple minutes, it got a little bit better. And I'm like, hey, Mary, can you just stay on the phone with me as I drive home and talk with me and keep my mind off of what's going on? But it was it was scary. Like, I was just, I was like, do I need to go to the hospital? Is there something wrong? I've never experienced anything like this before, but I was struggling to breathe. And I made the drive home fine. I was safe. And I got home and I was like, hey, Mary, like, I don't, I don't know what's happening. And Mary goes, Cal, I do. And she goes, Cal, you're exhausted. She goes, you've preached 11 times in the last 13 days. You've traveled across the country, dealt with the time change, traveled back. You just did this um, camp thing. Um, You weren't expecting it, and you've been running on adrenaline for about a week and a half now, and I think now that you knew that your last message was done and you kind of fulfilled everything you needed to do, um, you kind of let your adrenaline down, and you just crashed. She goes, Cal, what you need to do is, is you need to have a really, really good night of sleep, and you need to start eating well. And so I remember that night I went to bed and I got like 10 hours of sleep. Woke up the next morning, had a really nice breakfast, had some eggs and toast, and I felt way better. That feeling never came back. It was exhaustion that was giving me a physical response. So if you're feeling overwhelmed by fear and anxiety, I think it's important to ask ourselves are we sleeping well? Am I eating healthy? Am I pursuing physical health? Because if we aren't, it's going to affect our ability to think clearly and to not be overwhelmed. Look at verse nine. It says, there he came to a cave, Elijah, and he lodged in it. So he's gone 40 days into the wilderness to this Mount Horeb. It said, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah. And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God and the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, and I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. Okay, here's the second step to take when your heart is troubled. It's simple, talk to God. So Elijah goes to this mountain and God meets him there. And Elijah is like, God, I've done everything I can. I've been faithful. I've been honest. Your people, they've forsaken you. They've thrown down your altars. They're killing your prophets. And they even seek to kill me. And I'm the only one that's left. And what I love about this is I love how honest Elijah is being with God right now. I mean, you see they're having a conversation and they're having some real talk. And what Elijah is saying, he's like, listen, I'm not in a great space. I've dedicated my life to serving you. And right now it all feels pointless. It feels like I've accomplished nothing. No one's following you. All I've gotten for this is people want me dead. Like, how do you expect me to go on, God? They're having an honest conversation. First Peter 5, 6, and 7, Peter writes this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And what I love about this passage is is Peter's saying, hey, listen, those fears and anxieties, they're not meant for you to hold them. You've got to offload them to the right place, and that right place is God. He can carry them. He cares for you. And what I love about this is the guy who's writing it. right? Peter knows what it's like to be overcome with fear. He was in one of these, he was one of the disciples that Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled, And we know for Peter, he failed in this and he was overcome with fear and anxiety so much that he denied even knowing Jesus to a servant girl. He would fail in fear this night. And now Peter, learning his lesson, more mature, leading the church who would even end up dying for Christ is saying, listen, I know life is scary and I know there's fears. Give those to the Lord, talk to God about them. He can handle them, he cares for you. You know, I know if you're like me, I'm, I know this is true in my life, and I'm sure it is for you. So often, I viewed fear and being scared as just a bad thing. So I try to not think about it, or I try to push it away from me, or or keep it in the um, closet of my life until it ultimately just kind of overwhelms me in an unhealthy way. And I think one of the things we need to do is we need to understand that fear should be an indicator that, man, there's some things I need to bring to the Lord. There's an honest conversation that I need to have with the Lord right now. So if you're listening to this and you're struggling with fear and anxiety, here's over this this situation, this COVID situation, here's what I would encourage you. Um, Take some time carve it out in your schedule and have an honest conversation with God. I think fear should remind us, hey, you know what? There's some things in my heart I need to be honest with the Lord about, not go through the motions, but really engage with him like I believe that he's here, that he answers and that he cares for me. We need to talk to God. Look at verse 11. It says this, and he said, go and stand on the mount before the Lord. So God tells Elijah, I want you to go stand out and I want you to leave this cave. It says, and behold, the Lord passed by. This is amazing. And a great strong wind tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Um, I think this text is so amazing. So so what God does is he goes, hey listen, um, I wanna meet with you right now, Elijah. And the third step we see uh, is to pursue God's presence. So Elijah is like, okay, I'm gonna come out I'm gonna meet with God. And at first, this great strong wind comes. So strong, it's literally breaking down the rocks all around Elijah and before the Lord, but it said that the Lord wasn't in the wind. And then there's this massive earthquake and then there's this fire, but it says the Lord wasn't in those things either. And then all of a sudden there's this sound of a low whisper. Why do you think God did that? Like, is there a reason God showed up in that order? I absolutely think there is. I think what God is communicating to Elijah is, listen, I control the wind, I control the earth, and I control fire. There is absolutely nothing that I am not in control of. I am greater and I am stronger than you can even begin to imagine. I am in control, I'm here, I'm not overwhelmed, I am not lost on your situation, but I am present in your struggle right now. And I think even for us, it's good to remind ourselves, listen, um, the coronavirus has taken all of us off guard. It's taken the world off guard. A year ago, no one had heard of it. Six months ago, um, no one had heard of it. Two months ago, people were just beginning to talk about it, and now all of our lives are dramatically changed. God has not been taken off guard by this. He is in control, he's sovereign, he's good. God is communicating his strength and power to Elijah. But then in approaching Elijah with a whisper, what he's saying is, listen, I'm accessible, and I'm kind, and I'm patient, and I'm gentle, and I'm available to you right now. He's saying, man, I am both in control of everything, and I am deeply personal and relational. You can come to me, you can talk to me, you're safe in my presence. So here's the question, how do we pursue God's presence? Well, I think a really practical way to do this, and I know what's been hugely important in my life is through worship music, and it was interesting. So last Sunday, probably like many of you, um, we got the kids set up with their children's ministry work and we turned on our TV and we started to watch the worship set that uh, Taylor and Alec and Jamie and the band Um, had put together, and something interesting happened as soon as the worship started playing. Taylor and Jamie and Al started singing, and both Mary and I were just overcome with emotion. And we started to to tear up, and we really felt God's presence meeting with us as we watched a video in our own homes, and just to hear those words um, that you will not for a moment Um, withdraw your hand, you will never forsake your promises, to sing those words with our family, with our kids. It was emotional and it was healing for our hearts. And what happened is as God was revealing a lot of things in my heart that I was worried about that I wasn't even realizing I was worried about. But when you worship the Lord, when you engage with him, when you sing things to him that are true and are about his character, his presence meets us in that place. Man, I've talked with hundreds of people Um, who have said when I've gone through scary situations, whether it's cancer diagnoses or issues in marriage or fears about children, they say the thing that I run to is worship music. And it realigns my heart, it resets my emotions, it, it, it does a work that's supernatural in my heart. So I would encourage you, man, maybe in this season in your house, you know, worship music should be playing, but let's set our hearts and minds on who the Lord is. Look at verse 14. It says, so it's funny, Elijah's going to repeat the same thing. He says, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, and even only I am left, and they seek to take my life to take it away. So it's interesting in verse 14, Elijah's still not feeling it. He's like, I'm still frustrated. I'm still not in a great place. All of this hasn't helped me quite enough yet. So look what God does in verse 15. It says, And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi shall you anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat abel Meholah, you shall anoint to be a prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, All the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Okay, here's the next step to take when your heart is overcome with fear it's this take the next step of obedience. It's really, really interesting. Elijah's like, I'm still not feeling great right now. So, what does God do? He gives them very, very specific instructions. He's like, All right, I want you to leave the wilderness. And I want you to go to this city and I want you to anoint this guy to be the king of Syria. Then I want you to anoint this guy to be the king of Israel. And then I want you to anoint this guy to be the prophet that will follow you in your footsteps. In essence, what God is telling Elijah is, listen, rather than being out here in the wilderness and feeling sorry for yourself, you need to go do your job. And he's saying, listen, here's very specific instructions that you need to follow. And he's saying, listen, um, do what's right, and these feelings of fear and anxiety, they're going to begin to dissipate. And he's communing to, communicating to Elijah, I'm in control, I've got this, I know what I'm doing. And I think in seasons of fear and uncertainty, it's really important for us not to get ahead of ourselves or to get paralyzed by fear, right? I think a lot of times when we're scared, what we're doing is is we're thinking six or seven steps ahead of where we are, and we're running to worst-case scenarios. Well, what if this happens, and then this happens, and this happens, and this happens? And it's really important for us to be like, no, 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 I need to be faithful and honor the Lord with where I am today, What's the next step of obedience? What's the next step of trust? What am I called to do that that can be faithful and can be responsible and honor the Lord right now? So for you, maybe that's all right. We're gonna prepare and we're gonna dive into educating our kids um, as they're home in this season. And we're going to be the best homeschool mom or dad that we can be. And we're gonna prep right now and really pour ourselves into that because that's what we're called to do. Maybe it's, listen, I'm just gonna be a good dad and really dive into the relationships with my kids and take advantage of this time when we're all home together and and spend time with them and talk with them and go on walks with them. And there's a lot in this world I can't control, but I can control loving my family well. And I can control my attitude and my disposition towards my family. Maybe it's all right, I'm gonna get as prepared as I can be for the Zoom meeting that I have on Monday morning and I'm gonna do my work, I'm gonna be faithful, I'm gonna be on top of it, and then I'm gonna trust the Lord with the rest. We need to slow down, take it step by step, be faithful in the moment. Listen, we can't fix what happened yesterday, we can't control what happens tomorrow, but we can be faithful today. We need to trust uh, the Lord with our tomorrows. And then here's the last thing we need to do. Um, We need to press into community. And if you have your Bibles open, look at the heading right before verse 19. It says that um, Elijah anoints the prophet Elisha. And I think it's really, really interesting. Don't miss this. What does God do for Elijah in this season of fear and anxiety? He gives him a partner. He gives him a protege. protege. The very next thing Elijah does is he meets Elisha, this one that would come alongside him, that would help him, that would partner him with, in ministry God gives Elijah a friend and he's like, listen, you shouldn't be alone right now. You haven't been built to walk this journey alone. I'm gonna give you um, someone to help you, someone to be your companion and, and a friend who's gonna shoulder the burdens in your life. God knew that the exact thing Elijah needed was someone who could be with him and support him. And man, I think about this season and the amount of encouragement the community has brought into my heart. You know, I don't know if you guys are doing this, but our small group, we've been doing Zoom calls on Saturday nights and even just to see those people and to hear about how life's going and the struggles they're facing and praying for one another, like just seeing their faces and engaging for them, it's like a highlight of our week right now. Um, you know, the emails and texts and phone calls I've received from friends and loved ones, hey, checking in, how are you doing? Just wanted to say, you know, I love you. Like those are like, food and water right now, it's hugely encouraging to our hearts. Even the midweek devotionals where we can kind of even just see, man, there's 250 of us together or 250 different machines watching a devotional. It's like we're studying God's word together. You feel this sense of community and you read the comments and it brings joy to our hearts. You know, one of the things I think that God is doing in this season is I think we, as the American church, it's easy for us to take community for granted And when you can come to church every week and you've got small group and there's so many things going on, it's so easy to just take those things for granted. And I think what God is doing is he's stirring up in our hearts a love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we are a family. We need that encouragement. We need that support. And so I would encourage you, who are the people in your life who you can be that community to, to love and support and really just unload your fears and worries and anxieties with and know that you'll be prayed for and cared for and loved on in the midst of those things. Um, so to kind of end this morning, here, here's what I would say. Um... You know, I I think over the last few weeks, initially it was like, wow, this is insane. And things are going to shut down and we're going to have to close our offices and we're not going to meet together as a church. And there was this like moment of just kind of not really excitement, but adrenaline, like, wow, we've got to make all these decisions. This is happening. This is real. I can't believe it. Um, now that we're in this by uh, 10 days or two weeks and we've got the stay at home order and offices are shut down and we're not meeting. Can I be honest with you? I'm over it right now. Like I was telling my small group on Saturday night, like I, I've just decided like I'm ready for life to go back to normal. And I know many of you feel the exact same way, and I know when you feel like that, it's easy for us to get in this space of just not being grateful or, or not um, choosing to trust God or choosing to focus on all of the blessings God's giving us every single day. And I just think this text is so timely for our hearts. Listen, there's some real practical things that we can do when our hearts are troubled, to not let fear and anxiety be the thing that dominates us, but have what dominates us be trust in the Lord, obedience and faithfulness to the one who is in control of everything. I hope these words encourage your heart. Let's do this, let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for um, this time together. I thank you for um, just the ability to open your word. I'm thankful for the story of Elijah and how you are just so clearly um, helping us in this season, you're not absent, you're not void, um, but God, you're here and you're with us, and I even just sense your presence in this empty room because your word is going forth in power. And so God, I'm just praying that you would pierce our hearts with it, that you would move mountains, that you would show yourself to be faithful in each and every of our lives. We love you, it's in your son's name we pray, amen.